Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to another episode. Now, today, I'm really excited to bring you an experience of Romanian wine. And who better to talk about this than the owner of the largest Romanian winery, Cramali Rikash, responsible for more than 15% of all of Romania's wines that are exported. So, English-born Philip Cox is going to be taking us through the wine regions of this much lesser-known Eastern European country. He'll be taking us on his own journey of how he ended up in Romania, the challenges he's had to take on, how to deal with adversity, how to think outside of the box, how to market to the right customer. We will, of course, be tasting and talking about one of the most famous indigenous grape varieties of Romania, Fetesca Regala, which means royal maiden. We will discuss tourism in this beautiful country, winemaking choices. And don't forget, there is the transcript that you can download so you know how to spell these wine regions or grapes should you want to investigate some more. Just go to my show notes and the link will be waiting for you right at the top. Oh, and before we start, Philip mentions them only having just finished harvest a few weeks prior. So for reference, we recorded this on the 11th of November. Right, I think that's all you need to know, so I hope you enjoy this discovery into Romanian wine. Philip, first of all, as we just did this off record, please can you pronounce the winery's name correctly for everyone? <laughs> <laughs> so it's called Cramele Rekash, which means winery or bodega. I love it. And then, of course, Rakash is actually the... Rakash is a town yeah. in the east, in the west of Romania. It's about 15,000 people. It's quite close to the border with Hungary. Well, we, we will certainly touch on the regions a little bit later. But I have to do the first question that everyone asked me when I told them I was actually coming to visit you in Romania. And they said, oh, yeah, the winery with that English guy that's running it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How does hmm. an English guy end up running a winery in Romania? So I didn't even get to fully get that answer from you. I got the half answer and then we got distracted drinking wine. So, so tell me, how did it happen? It's quite a long story. I hope oh, my yeah. laptop's battery doesn't run out. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's just one of those things that happens in life by sort of, it wasn't really by design at all. Yeah. I came here a long time ago, 30 odd years ago, just after the revolution, which was mm. in 1989. So I came in 1991 because I was working for a company at the time in London, which was a marketing company. And I was, it was my first job and I was the youngest guy in the company and they, they nobody wanted to come to Eastern Europe back then. It had a reputation as being rather grim. And it was a bit grim back then. But you were the explorer. So I, yeah, I got sent out here. I was quite happy to see new countries and mm -hmm. check out different things. So my job was trying to work on some marketing contracts with companies all around Eastern Europe, Serbia, Croatia, which at the time were going through a war. 
while I was there, and then Romania, Bulgaria, so these countries. And um, when I got to Romania, I was very interested that it was very different than the rest of the countries, and the people were very... They had been held back, I would say, more than the other communist countries in the Eastern mm. Bloc. They were more, you know, they weren't allowed to talk to foreigners. They were really suffering from not having enough food. The country was in a horrible economic crisis. Mm. And they were very keen to do new things. So they all, everybody that I met, most of them have never seen a foreign person before. They all assumed that I was a multimillionaire, which I wasn't. <laughs> and they all wanted you enjoyed to do that, some... though, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it was cool to be... <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't take 20-year-olds very seriously in the West, but they all hadn't really met any foreigners, so they all wanted to start businesses. A lot of people came to me, and they were very entrepreneurial, and they all wanted to have a company. It was, they have, I would say they're more entrepreneurial than West Europeans. Everybody wanted to do something, anything. So we had a lot of ideas, a lot of people I met, and um, I wasn't really enjoying the job I was doing in England, so I was quite keen to listen to them and then we tried a few things first thing i tried was a cinema a that cinema okay yeah i right. started a cinema i brought vhs tapes from england and a oh video projector and we had films and it went very good for about six months because they Until... couldn't get we got closed down yeah we got closed down by the oh. government because apparently the government at the time wanted to keep a monopoly on all the yeah. other cinemas were state-owned, yeah. as was most of the economy. Of course. So then yeah. the next thing I tried was beer business. I met okay. some met the guys from Heineken in Holland, and um, they wanted to sell their beer in Eastern Europe. The people here wanted to drink it because up, up until that time they hadn't had, they hadn't had any foreign beer at all, and they could hardly get Romanian beer. It was a all of the industry over here was falling to bits and not oh, working very like well. Awful times, and you managed to yeah, stay. Well, okay. It was grim. You, you had to yeah. queue up to get stuff like basic food and including yeah. beer. It was really, it wasn't easy to get anything. Yeah. So and we got we brought this Heineken beer, and which for the standards of the time was like very seen as very luxurious. It was on the TV. You know, people had seen it on uh-huh. sponsoring tennis events or whatever. I don't know advertising and it was in dallas which was a big tv show back then uh, and yeah, it, it was in films and stuff so it, they knew about it and it was very it was a bit like champagne for them back then on mm-hmm. on the, the amount of money that people had a, a bottle of beer was about the most luxury they could go for went spectacularly well we sold a lot and then added a few other things on we were bringing perrier mineral water and dow egbert's coffee and Basically, stuff for the food sector. But we ran into a problem after Another a year one. or two that we couldn't get the money that we were taking for selling beer. We couldn't change it into hard currency. There, there was a sort of um, there was an economic collapse. We had like ten thousand percent inflation. Makes me laugh now when people are complaining about having ten percent inflation. We <laughs> should see, we You're see like, what is like. done that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. When the money is devaluing every week by like a hundred percent. Anyway, so it was very hard to get hard currency, and we couldn't pay for the stuff we were importing. We couldn't, uh, and the suppliers were getting a bit miffed because nobody wants to do it without being paid. Yeah, of course. So I had to get something. I decided I had to get something that we could export to turn our Romanian money into hard currencies. Mm. And I, I, I thought of wine. I, I didn't know much about it. I had worked in wine shops in Bristol, where I'm from, when I was a student. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, two of my uncles, my aunt in shop down there, they still do. And I liked it. And I thought, oh, how hard can that be exporting wine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Easy peasy, so, right? I did the, I came back to England for a few months. I did the diploma thing, the WSET mm-hmm. courses, yeah. mm-hmm. looked into it, tried to learn about it. And then I went around Romania trying to get a bag full of samples. And gradually, after a lot of trying, I met some Germans, oddly enough. I was trying to sell it in England, but I met a big German company. It's called Ray Kenderman. They're the people that make a brand called Black Tower. Still okay, going, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yep. And they were keen to get involved in Eastern Europe because their German wine wasn't doing as well as they wanted. And they wanted to get something new and different. So... I brought them here, we all had a look around, sent a lot of samples, and pretty soon we started selling wine to them. So we were buying wine from the wineries, which were all run by the government at the time, and selling them in Germany in bulk, being bottled there, and then going off to all parts of the world. And uh, that was really good for me, because it Mm. taught me a huge amount about the wine industry. In time, we built a winery for them, actually two. So I learned about buying grapes, building wineries, little bit, saw some of the customers, went to the, started going to the wine affairs, mm-hmm. kind of learned about the wine industry. And I did that for about seven years. And I was the director here, the managing director of their Romanian company. And it was a really good and useful experience for me. It taught me a lot about the industry in a different way than most of the Romanians themselves have learned about it. Most of the mm-hmm. Romanians are more interested in producing grapes than they were about selling wine back then. Yeah. Yeah. It was more it was more agricultural and less of a business. So I did that. And then by the end of the 1990s, the government was trying to start privatizing the stuff that had been nationalized, which included all the vineyards and all the wineries. So there were no private wineries until about 19, late 1990s. And we got in 1998 a chance to buy this one where we are now. It, the government wanted to sell it. I only thought about doing it as a kind of small boutique winery. We, we wanted <laughs> boutique. to buy. That's that's always been my goal, but it uh-huh. it didn't work out. <laughs> we Failed. wanted to buy a we wanted to buy a hundred hectares, which is still quite big, and have a smallish a smallish little winery. But they wouldn't sell it in bits, so they said you have to buy the whole thing, which was six hundred hectares at the time. Which is a lot. <laughs> Which is a big vineyard. And it didn't have any business. It didn't have any wine bottling or sales. All it was doing was a vineyard making grapes and selling grapes to other people. Mm-hmm. So I convinced the government people to do it on a kind of lend-lease basis where we could pay for it over five years because we didn't have any money at all. <laughs> and that's how we got started. And it was very tough. It wasn't at all romantic as people think it is. It's a tough it's a tough business. Of course, of course. Especially when you don't inherit it, when you have to start from zero basically. And we didn't have any customers, so we didn't have any money. There were no bank loans back then. Couldn't get credits. So we had to do everything by selling wine and that's why we came up with a style of business which we still have, which is trying to make very good value for money wines very aggressively, you know, price quality ratios, mm-hmm. try and make them better than the price they are for sale for. And we were very flexible about doing new kinds of packaging and developing products for each of our customers, which are all different. And not all wineries realize that. So there are big differences between customers in the UK or in Germany or in Holland or in Romania 
everybody wants something which can be dramatically different. Yes. And we tried to make something for everybody, and I think it's worked because now we're the biggest winery in Romania by far. You know, you talk about marketing. You have done an amazing thing thinking about your customers, which generation of consumer it is. Those those UV bottles, frosted glass, glow-in-the-dark bottles yeah. that I saw in the winery. <laughs> Yeah. They were brilliant. We try and have labels and packaging and wines for every type of customer in every country. And we try and think about who is really buying it. You know, are they being bought by women? A lot of wineries assume that they're being bought by men, but it's not true. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking about young people as well. Wineries are not very good at aiming wine at young people, which I think is a real shame and a a potential problem <laughs> well you've definitely done a good yeah I mean already I'm looking I've got four labels for the wines that we're going to drink in this part and then the part next week and everyone go and check out my Instagram because all of them they are clean they're fresh or they're modern or they're simple to read you've definitely understood the UK market and no surprise yeah I think we have to we have to try a bit harder too because we're from a country which is not very well known nobody mm -hmm. knows when I started, no one knew anything about Romania, and a lot of people still don't. I think, yeah, so, that's fair to say. <laughs> but we're going to change that today, Philip. Yes. We're going to change so we have that today. We to have to try hard, do what people want to, to see, make the wines attractive, both packaging and, and content. And inside. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's how I got started in the wine business. I hope I managed to keep it reasonably no, Short. <laughs> that was a, I like that. that. And that was actually quite interesting. I didn't know you had a cinema. So I want to go back to the fact that you failed miserably at creating <laughs> a boutique winery and you are now the largest winery in Romania. And I believe, am I right, that 45% of all the wines that are exported around the world is yours? Is that a correct statistic? I think I think it's Should more. I think it's more like, <gasps> it's, more, it's over 50%. It's around half. Okay, yeah, It's 50%. around half. Incredible. So in terms of stats then, just so people can understand how large, because I was overwhelmed by the size of the winery. I personally, I know there are bigger wineries. Um, I know Gallo, places like that, but I, I, I personally have never been in a winery with such humongous tanks and the capacity. So how much are you actually producing on average each year? Because obviously I know it changes. Mm -hmm. It's overwhelming for me as well. I can <laughs> Right now, this year, I think we made enough wine for about 35 million bottles. 35 um, so that's, million. that's the plan for next year. This, this year, we're going to sell just over 30 million, I think, if things carry on in December, if they have, have been until now. Amazing. And it's, um, it's been a surprise to us. We started literally from nothing in about 2000 was our first wine that we sold was in the year 2000, a millennium. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it, gotten quicker and quicker it started growing faster and faster so i think we got to 2016 we sold about 15 million bottles and so already in 2022 is like double what it was in 2016 okay. so that that has surprised us too and it's quite hard to keep up with <laughs> <laughs> well the wine still tastes amazing so whatever you're doing keep doing it so let's talk about mm -hmm. romania as a country as a wine growing country so why do you think that you can produce such good grapes in Romania? Romania has a very long history of making wine. Most people don't know about it in the, the rest of the world, but it's, yeah. I mean, we have varieties that are over 2,000 years old. You're going to try one a bit later for mm -hmm. Tesca Negra. Mm -hmm. 
So they've been doing it. I mean, they were they were colonized by the Romans, but they had vineyards even before that. So it it's always been a wine-producing country. And um, in my jobs previously and in this one where I was buying grapes from all over the country, I got to really know a lot about it and visit a lot of the regions and all of the regions. And it really is, um, it's a great wine country. It's got all kinds of wine regions. So we're in the west of Romania in a region called Banat. Our, mm-hmm. our DOC, our town is Rekash. This is a very warm summers, very, very hot summers and quite cold winters. So it's a continental climate. Mm-hmm. But we're on hills. We're about 400 meters altitude. So we don't get quite sort of blasting hot summers like the people down on the plains do, yeah. which is a good thing. And then there's the Black Sea region, Dobrozhur, it's called, right down by the other side of the country. It's about 1,000 kilometers from here. Uh, we also have a little winery down there. And that's different because the sea is a kind of moderating factor on the climate. So it keeps the keeps the mm. weather a little bit cooler, but it's very dry. And this is the only coastal region that you have in Romania, right? Yeah, the Black yeah. Sea coast. It's just mm-hmm. like 200 kilometers long. And there's, there's a grape growing region right almost on the beach, actually, very close to the beaches, which is a very nice seaside if you like going to the seaside. Mm-hmm. That's very nice clubs for young people. Yeah, very trendy clubs. So the wines down there are softer, they have lower acidity, but they have a longer growing season because it's so dry, it never rains. Up here where we are, we get rains like at the end of October usually. We need to harvest a bit quicker than down there. But down in the Black Sea, we we only stopped picking like two weeks ago by the Black Sea. Are you? So that makes different varieties, different wines. Are you producing your... Because I know I tasted some sweet wine when I was with you. Is that the grapes coming from there? Because, of course, you can produce lots of late harvest sweet wines. It's a famous region for late Mm -hmm. harvest wines and has been historically. So they always get very high sugar levels and and they can keep grapes to be very, very late harvest down there. Amazing. Then there's another region. There's Transylvania, which is sort of much higher altitude and much, much cooler. It's like in the center of Romania and it's... It's basically surrounded by the Carpathian Mountains. Mm-hmm. So that region is good for very high acidity wines for like sparkling wines or they're, they're pretty good at Sauvignon Blanc where you need a bit of a, a cooler climate and more acidity. Mm-hmm. And then the other really famous regions are over in the east on the border with Ukraine and Republic of Moldova. So Vrancha and Moldova regions. And again, they're a bit higher acidity, a little bit less warm summers and, and different for different varietals so over in the east they have quite a lot of local varieties like um also fetesca barbesca grasa de Quatnar, which is famous for making sweet wines it's a little bit i think it's a bit like ferment mm-hmm. so yeah every region has something different going on there are a few regions down in the south oltenia and dragashan which are quite famous for good red wines um so there's a lot of different regions a lot of different microclimates uh, it's an exciting country and but it hasn't developed as much as other countries because of various reasons mm-hmm. wars famines <laughs> yeah. communism a few struggles <laughs> but it is it is developing I mean, now i think it's amazing yeah. i mean and also for everyone you know this is on the same latitude as france so, you know, and it's a continental country. Of course, that's probably yeah. why there's lots of French varieties planted around Romania. But yeah. of course, we're not yeah, going to yeah. really touch on them. We're going to touch on the more exciting indigenous varieties mm-hmm. of Romania. So actually, do you know what? I'm thirsty. I'm, g- I'm just going to do it. I, <laughs> okay. I want Let's you to talk to me about Fetiashka Regala. So can we talk about that? And I'm going to pour the first 
Uh, mm-hmm. when the f- ah, hang on. I remember how you pronounce this. It's called fetele. Did I get fetele. it right? Yeah, you did. Fetele. You're doing very well. Fetele, and, and the variety is called fetesca. Fetesca de gala, yeah. Oh, it's not fetiashka. <laughs> no. No, oh, oh, no. Well, fetesca. I'm going to believe... I'm going to believe you, considering you live in Romania and work with Romanian wine. Oh, no, I don't. Fetesca. God, I have to Fetesca. Now, for everybody, this label, it's white, it's plain, but it's got this beautiful little red print on it of like a tiny little flower. And then the rest is imprinted with, you can't even see it. So the flowers and the pattern is just on the label, but it's not actually in colour. It's very classy. It's um, embossed. Embossed, there you go. That's it's a design that they have on like their national costumes. So the, the old fashioned people from the country have these very nice blouses, which they call yi, yi, which the girls wear. Fetele okay, means yes. girls. Mm-hmm. And fetesca is derived from girls. So young girl is literally the translation, I would say. So it's it's trying to look at our heritage, but I think mm-hmm. it's quite a modern label. Absolutely. So the, the varieties is a family of varieties, actually. There are three of them. There's Fetesca Alba, which means white Fetesca, and that's the oldest one. That's quite austere and a bit more acidic than Fetesca mm-hmm. Regala, but it's very aromatic. They're both aromatic, and they have a nice floral, um, you know, jasmine flower, flower thing going on. Mm-hmm. And then there is a third one, which is a red one, Fetesca Neck, which we're going to try later on. So they, they've all been around in Romania for a long time. Fetesca Alba was the oldest one. It grew historically in Transylvania or in the east of the country. Anyway, there are some arguments about where it came from exactly. And then Fetesca Regalo was developed like about 150 years ago. It's a sort of improved version of Fetesca Alba, which mm. is uh, more consistent, has better mouthfeel, and it, it's Romania's most popular white wine right now, so that can't be a bad thing. And this one that we're trying now, it's a more... I hate using the word premium one. Um, what's the right word? <laughs> Well, it it's our top. Premium. It's our top one. It's our top yes. one. So it's from our oldest vineyards with the lowest yields, and it's it's fermented in oak barrels for a month. It's not supposed to be oaky. It's just just to give it a bit to more a bit creaminess, texture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. texture and creaminess, and it has like lee stirring where we stir up the sediment in the barrels after it fermented to make it a bit more full bodied. But you can do this variety in a lot of different styles. You can do it in a very very fruity, zippy, more simple style, you know, very, with no oak. We were trying to do for this one a more more serious wine for like really high-end restaurants. And um, it's totally done for the on-trade and for the English on-trade. It's, it's done together with our friends at a company called Corny and Barrow in London, who are mm-hmm. a big importer of very posh wines from Burgundy and Bordeaux. Of and course, Domaine other... Romani Conti. Well, I don't Doesn't... want to drop it. No name dropping. <laughs> Well, um, you listen, you are in the portfolio with DRC. That mm-hmm. says something, doesn't it? It's an honour for them to be in the same portfolio as us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Here, here. Now, everybody, obviously, we can't all afford a bottle of DRC, but this stunning example of Fratesca Regala is £10.45 pence on the website of Corny and Barrow, and you can buy mm-hmm. just a single bottle. £10.45. We put a lot of effort into doing what we think works well with food, mm. and, and Rebecca, the I would say the boss of Corny, she's she's definitely the head buyer, but mm-hmm. she's the heart and soul of Corny and Barrow, and she, 
she really knows what English restaurant people and English consumers want. And we went through a very long, you know, developing how the wine should be, how the packaging should be, and very intense process, which not all customers do, but we like that. I like that. It's, it's what you have to do. You have to, you have to know what you're aiming Precisely. at. And the point of it is to show people that Romania can do really serious, great wines, not just the mm. country doing bargain basement generic wines, which some people kind of expect. Yes. It's not true. Romania does a lot of really interesting wines now. And I'm really excited we can do this and kind of get it out to for people to try. And I think it's a wine that works well with food. Too. It's solid enough. It's structured enough. Well, it's got that beautiful kind of tropical aromatics. And I know that, and, and it, this is a dry version, but of course the grape variety can be off dry but it still feels like there's there's real richness and ripeness of fruit so anything that's kind of aromatic food and with lovely herbs or spices is going to be stunning yeah. with this kind of wine and for everybody my opinion i don't know if you agree tasting this wine now it's almost like if a pinot gris and we're not talking pinot grigio everybody that you might expect from veneto you know in in italy like a pinot gris from say alsace that has a lot more aromatics if it kind of mixed with something like gewurztramina with this like kind of hint of spice and slight voluptuousness that is kind of what i'm trying to transmit for anybody who's wondering how this wine tastes it's mm -hmm. it's very floral like i get this kind of white lilies and roses and even like a, maybe a bit of cinnamon or something on the nose and then the palate is is peachy and it's almost like powdery chalky textural it's rounded and it's just it's got enough acidity to create structure but it's just really kind of fresh and, and quite pure that's that's what i get with this wine i think it's beautiful mm -hmm. i've had it with Thai food, I would mm -hmm, say, mm -hmm. any kind of rich, mm -hmm. slightly spicy food, it's really good mm. with that. Mm -hmm. mm. But also, like, along with all, everything I've just said, it almost has this kind of green apple crunchiness as well, I think, at the finish, giving it this freshness. So, mm, I think it's very, very aromatic. Are all Fetesco Regala wines as aromatic? Because I, I heard that they're more supposed to be semi-aromatic, but I feel like this has got beautiful lift. It's, uh, don't tell the other wineries. <laughs> what? Don't tell them what? We're very lucky. Our, our winemakers, Hartley was an Australian, and his wife, Nora, and all our other wineries. We have six girl winemakers. I don't know if I told you that. Most of our <laughs> winemakers are ladies. Um, we've worked on it for many, many years. It's not an easy variety to process. Mm. It, it's quite phenolic, and if you do it the wrong way, you can get it a little bit bitterness in it yeah so the okay. trick the, the trick is we make these the top wines just from the free run juice we don't use the press wine we tend to get a little bit more bitter and a bit more harsh so it's it's free run juice and very quick processing and quick pressing is the most important thing you don't you don't really want it sitting around uh, anywhere waiting to be pressed or staying on the skin yeah so. and that is probably because fetasco regala it almost does have slightly more like tannic um it's slightly more tannic isn't it than say uh fetasco yeah. alba it has that and that's that's why you're you're doing it that way i can't believe this is free run juice and we can buy it for £10.45. I'm not even joking. Philip, when I came to the winery and I tasted your range of wines, we tasted about 25 wines. I, the majority were around £10. 
they are mm-hmm. insanely good and i would literally put hand to heart they are the best value wines at 10 pounds i've ever tasted and i that i used to work for a chilean winery and i you know used to always say god chili best value in the world because they do they do incredible yes. value yep. but whew, tasting your wines it 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 goes somewhere completely different it's not i, well, I don't whew. it's because it's just because the country is not so well known really it's it's mm-hmm. it's a harder sell we have to be more competitive we have 250 new wineries just in the last five years Oh my god. Most of them are making very nice wines. There's a big, you know, kind of effervescence here of modern wineries, modern vineyards doing new things. But most of them don't really export because they try and equivalent their wines with like France or with um, Italy. Mm-hmm. And it's just difficult. It's difficult to find the commercial buyers that um, see it like that. They, people all expect Romania has to deliver more. And, and that's, that's how we've managed to make it work. But we're cool with that. We, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing okay. We're not, um, yeah, don't have to feel sorry for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of can't when I have this beautiful <laughs> bottle in front of me. I don't want it to be any more expensive because this literally smashes every other wine out of the race. It really does. Can I just ask a question? You talked mm-hmm. about this being the most like premium of your Fetashka Regala wines, and it's very low yielding, which of course, generally, when you do lower yielding wine, you concentrate the flavours. Is this typically a high yielding grape variety? Because that's, I think, what I've heard from across yeah. the board of all yeah, the Fetashka wines. Fetashka grapes. It is. It, it, mm, if, okay. you don't, if you don't control it it can, it can go a bit crazy and produce quite big amounts mm-hmm. but um we do we control the yields during flowering and when we think it's going to be too much we just pluck off some of the flowers so then you get less less bunches of grapes mm-hmm. it depends also on which part of romania is and how long the growing season is because if you leave more grapes you still can make a good wine sometimes if you have enough sunshine enough time to get it ripe <laughs> yes of course if you're working one of the cooler regions where this you know the weather is just not hot enough to ripen it it can be a bit green and thin and a bit bitter so would that be is that because in, in transylvania you mentioned really high altitude and that's yeah, where they, a lot of the whites they, grow they, they struggle to get it really ripe mm. they have to if they want to get it really ripe there they have to uh cut off a lot of fruit and do lower volumes per hectare and then it's harder to of course make money with it then and they have higher acidity but they they can get very nice fruit flavor so we we get grapes from lots of different regions and for the more commercial wines we blend together wines from different regions mm-hmm. it's, it sounds a bit counterintuitive everyone talks about place sense of place and terroir sometimes for commercial level wines it's good to be able to balance the characteristics of grapes from different mm-hmm. regions sometimes one will be more acidic one will be more fruity it's not always it's a good thing i think it's 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 a handy thing to do, but this one here is this one is a DOC wine, so it's right from our our own vineyard, our best vineyard. From, yeah, for cash in the mm-hmm. west. In mm-hmm. the west. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to compare this now to the Passeri, which is a Chardonnay uh, mm-hmm. that is eighty five percent Chardonnay, and then you have put the rest of Fetesca Regala into it, right? So it's a blend. Yeah. This is yeah. also Corny and Barrow, everyone. And this is an absolutely astounding 
nine pounds 95 so everybody gets saving you know a bit punchy a bit punchy <laughs> so let's try this one um obviously it's only a little bit of the fetesca regala but let's see how much let's see how much it comes through mm. oh see now this one has a little bit more of that kind of creamy textured savory character it's a lot less aromatic the other one was really perfumed and jumping out of the glass but this feels for me a little bit more stone fruits there's that lily note i'm kind of getting that floral lilies but it's more in the background mm, mm -hmm. that, but almost like a do you do you put this in oak a little bit of oak yeah the the, the chardonnay part of yes. it is in in barrels for when it ferments just for about a month and a half not for a very long time i don't want it to be overly oaky but any new oak because there's like a little touch of just slight nuttiness that I get like a little yeah. hint of maybe almond flakes mm -hmm. mm. and the palette it's actually a bit more floral so white flowers it's very pretty it's medium bodied but it's got this real lightness and brightness and freshness so actually on the nose it seems like it's going to be rounder and creamier and more textural, but it smells delicious. But on the palate, it's really lively um, and light. I think it's like you said, we like, like the white wines to be very pure, you know, and try and mm -hmm. capture the essence of the grapes which go into them. Obviously, the main thing is grapes. That's where the, the real character it comes from. But a lot of things can go wrong in the winery. So we spend a lot of effort and time and money just trying to preserve what is in the grapes, really. Mm -hmm. So that means... Um, Again, this is from Free Run Juice. It's not fined in any way. It's one of the important things that we do in the last few years. That's why we can call it all of our wines vegan. Because we don't mm -hmm. use fining on them. Yep. We just yep. we just process the grapes in a certain way that is very quick. And they don't avoid making mistakes. Because a lot of fining really is, is dealing with mistakes. <laughs> yes. So we don't want to do that. We try and get it right first time. You were telling me you use a uh, like a centrifuge, which is like a yeah. We, is it a spinning we centrifuge cone? them. It's, it's a centrifuge. It's a big thing, a big stainless steel tub that whizzes around at a thousand miles an hour, gets any gets dead yeast cells out of the wine and cleans the wine up very quickly, which then avoids problems like reduction and off smells and mm -hmm. lots of things that can go wrong. And then the other important thing is keeping the wines very cool all the time. We we encourage people drinking it to keep it cool at home too. This kind of wine they don't like warm conditions, neither during fermentation and neither during storage. We, we store all our wines at five degrees centigrade all Do year. Do you? Oh, yeah, wow, okay. Which is, which is not, not normal in the industry, no. but it, it does make a big difference. Okay. I can tell you, keeping wines cool and keeping them away from air is another important thing. So we try yeah. very hard to not let air into them, neither when they're in the tanks, neither when we're bottling them. So mm, that's that keeps really interesting. This, that's how you keep this very fresh freshness and purity. Because for people wondering, oh well, what's normal? I would be right thinking about, you know, between twelve and sixteen degrees. People would be storing their wines. Would you say that's accurate? It depends where they are. Yeah, I've seen a lot of companies in Spain that keep their wine in huge tanks out in the courtyard. And, you know, it could be pretty hot in Spain during the summer. <laughs> it's always pretty hot in Spain during the summer. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yes. Some, some countries have different national philosophies about it. Italians, I would say, keep their wine a bit warmer than the French. But mm -hmm. this, this technology we use is really because it's, it's Australian in origin. Our winemaker is Australian. 
that's what they teach them at wine school. And I think he's right. It, I wasn't convinced about it initially because it's expensive to do, <laughs> keep the wine cold during the summer. But um, yeah. once we tried it, I was convinced. Mm, super, super interesting because I never really, really, I never knew anyone. It means you don't get a lot of difference between wine, which is bottled now when it's very young. So we'll be bottling soon the 2022 wines. And if we bought them in January, they will taste almost the same as the ones we bottle in November next year. That's, that's what it means, keeping them properly in the winery. And then further down the line, tasting nice to people at home. Yeah. And actually, we're drinking both of these two wines I've opened up, a 2021. Now, yeah. almost across the whole of Europe, ugh, and it was just a horrible, rainy, yucky vintage. Was it, was it the same for you guys as well? Or was 2021, did you get away with it? 21 was good for us. It was a good year. Ah. So particularly a good year for red wines. Ah, interesting. I think it was a little bit... Was a little bit too hot for some of the white wines. Maybe the Sauvignon Blanc, because okay. it was a very hot summer. But um, no, no, no. It was we had drought in twenty twenty one quite badly. It wasn't the same. As really? The, yeah. <laughs> it was a we all had we had all the rain then. You could have had yeah. some of ours. You just needed to oh, ask. It politely. was a good. It was a good year. I think it was better for red wines than twenty twenty two. I think twenty twenty two's white wines may be a little bit better than these. It was okay. a really good year for Fetesque in particular, <laughs> and Chardonnay. Interesting. So, yeah. Now, both of these wines that we had, they've both come from where you are based at the winery yeah. in Rikash. So, it's yeah. this. When I when we were driving around, did you take us to Uber Hill? Was I, did I understand right? We went to Uber It's called Hill. Uberland. Uberland. U- that's, <laughs> that's not the right way of pronouncing it. It's, it's oh, like sorry. E, the U is like a E. Eberland. German. Uber- oh, okay. But it doesn't sound as fun. But yeah. Okay. No, U- no. Uberland. Uber. So, <laughs> which is that just one part of the vineyard because i remember going to my favorite part of the vineyard was this absolutely insane amphitheater style vineyard that just opened up that you planted merlot at the top i think mm-hmm. you had the uh Fetashka niagara at the bottom didn't you is that yep uber 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 no, that, that's Damn. a different hill that's that's a hill which is called Delo Tsiganone, which means gypsy hill so we have ah. we have we have three hills. We have Überland is one hill. It means in German over there. It it was planted with vineyards by the German colonists here three or four hundred mm. years ago. Okay. So we didn't really want a German name for our vineyard, but that's what it is. It is what it is. You, you get what you get. You exactly. get what you're given. <laughs> and then the last one is called Iswin. Iswin is a very nice name. It means the smell of wine. There's a hill called the smell of wine. Isvin. Oh, beautiful! Oh, I and like um, that. it's 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 actually a village as well as a village called Isvin, which smells of wine, <laughs> and what? it does. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, everybody, we need to go to this village now. Yeah. So wow. yeah, they're a little different hills. They have a little bit different soil. They have different, you know, you saw little valleys, little amphitheaters, different slopes and different directions. And it's very interesting for us because it means we can try different things, planting different things in different spots and then harvesting them at different times, trying to figure mm. out which ones are best for which varieties. And even from the same little blocks of grapes, we pick out the the best little parcels for these top wines. So we really got a lot of trouble to find which ones have the really the best soil for each variety because it, it does differ different varieties like different things some like Absolutely. different different exposure to the sunshine different orientation of the slopes 
So it's it's a real science. It's a science. I thought it was fascinating, absolutely coming there, like you said, all these different aspects and topography and all these different undulating hills. And then you were saying back in like was it in the fourteen hundreds, it was even bumpier, but they flattened everything out. And then actually that's worked to your advantage because it's brought loads of rocks to the surface. So that's actually really good. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. We have limestone yeah. underneath, like fractured limestone and we found that the places where the soil is more rocky, they've They've flattened out the hills and the rocks come out. They tend to make the best wines because the the vines have to really fight for um, water and fight for their life harder than in deeper soils. Yes. And they, and they they make less grapes but better grapes. And we pick those little blocks separately for the top wines. And everybody, you have to come down to this winery. And when you're there on one of the kind of it's not I don't know if it is even a peak, but I remember you look one direction and you can see Hungary. You pointed that out. From the other direction, you can see Serbia, and then obviously then the opposite. Then you start looking into the kind of forests and more hills of Romania. It's superb, absolutely beautiful so Romania might not be a destination that people think of for wine but poof, it definitely delivers right it's a very pretty area and we're working on our tourism too we had 30,000 tourists last year so it's not growing bad. yeah people are coming and it's a very pretty area it's not it's not as grim as people think it is it's very <laughs> nice during the summer it's warm it's good food <laughs> Hang on a minute. I don't know if I got if I heard this right, but people can come to the winery and it's something like thirty euros for unlimited wine and yeah. food, right? Drink and eat right? all you can. <laughs> and is it for thirty euros? Yes. Right. Yes. Everybody, let's let's just let's finish off here. Very this is very important. You can fly in to Timisoara. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. Timisoara. Yeah. Yeah. So you can fly in to Timisoara from England, from Luton. I looked, there are flights uh, that are often 30, 40 pounds one way. You can fly in and then from the airport, it takes half an hour? Less. From the airport, it's like 20 minutes. Okay. We are at the end awesome. of the runway. Amazing. So, <laughs> I love it. So it takes like 20 minutes to get to your winery. So mm-hmm. jump in a cab. Again, this is Romania. Things are a lot cheaper as well, even for transport. And then you can pay £30, have all you can eat. Like this is the, all you can eat and all you can drink. This is like perfect stag do, Hindu mm-hmm. territory. Like it's insane. And then Timisoara itself is just the most incredible town they call it what do they call it like a baby baby vienna right baby vienna the little vienna baby, yeah little vienna yeah, it's, it is it's pretty insane isn't and it's it? che- so... cheaper cheaper than going to a bar in central london <laughs> you can fly <laughs> here and drink all you can <laughs> oh my god and then even in timiswara like the beers are like what two euros yeah like oh my god and there's so much history you know and this is where the revolution happened when we came to see you we went on a walking tour and we just learned you know that kind of pain that suffering that you know Romania's really gone through but also I felt like it is a phoenix this is how I've described it to people a phoenix rising from the ashes it's it's coming back it's coming back it's developing Next year is the European capital of culture. So there's a lot of yes. cultural events, theater, concerts, and they've put a lot of effort into redoing the old town center to make it look nice now. It's all pedestrianized now. So it's, yeah, it's, mm. it's coming along very nicely. And it, it is a lot cheaper than England. I, I have to say that. I hate going to England for, <laughs> yeah. for that Don't reason. Don't even, for a pub, go to a pub and pay like 
eight pounds. Eight pounds for a like beer. Nearly, basically ten, it's basically 10 euros for a beer now. It's insane. I don't even want to talk about it. It's but bonkers. everybody, seriously, flights are cheap to Timiswara. The buildings are authentic and old and they all come from different artistic time periods. Now they're renovating the old building. So you've got some that have kind of gone into disrepair, quite a lot actually, but still look beautiful in their own way. Then there are some that have been redone completely. And oh, it's, and then of course, less than half an hour and you're in the winery. (laughs) (laughs) I think everybody knows what they need to do for a week. And sorry, actually, Philip, you've just said how busy you are and how tired you are because everyone keeps on coming to visit you. Sorry, everyone, everyone, um, one at a time, please. (laughs) I'm not, not, it's not, Tourists that make me busy. It's it's people from big supermarkets and people like that that give me a hard time. Ah, okay, fine. Everybody, <laughs> we're very welcome. Case, we're welcome tourists. Oh, yeah, and there's lots to do. The there's an adventure park just up the road from the winery where they have horse riding, zip lines, oh, wow. all kind oh. of stuff like that. Hiking for your, pe- for your horsey people. Anyway, <laughs> not here to talk about horses. We're here to talk but about back to wine. wine. Yes, 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 exactly. We are here to talk about wine, but we will need to wait till next week's episode now, where we'll be continuing the conversation, discussing more indigenous varieties. So Fetesca Negra, which is the main red, and we'll discuss the other varieties that are doing really well in Romanian soils. We'll be talking about organic wines, orange wines and gosh the wine packing crisis that alone could probably have been one whole episode but for now I will finish off with a wine quote of course and this one is from Tom Elkcher maybe that's how you pronounce his last name he is the wine editor for Wine Country Living magazine and he very simply said wine is a passport to the world It most certainly is, and I cannot recommend highly enough a long weekend away to Timiswara and, of course, Grammarly Rearcash. So grab your passport and get ready for this Eastern European escape, which will be an equal experience in wine, food and culture. You can contact me about my trip if you're after any kind of advice. So send me an email, yanina at eatsleepwinerepeat.co.uk and it's yanina with a J or direct message me on Instagram at eat sleep underscore wine repeat and that is it for today don't forget to like share and subscribe to this podcast leave me a review if you are on apple podcasts or a rating on spotify as this will make the podcast more discoverable and a few seconds of your time will make such a difference do a search for Cramley rakash and see what wine is available in your area Get yourself a bottle and I'll see you back here next Monday. May your week be filled with positive vibes and until then, cheers to you.